0: The home of Common Sense. Talk Radio and Talk TV.
1: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We have reached the end of another fabulous and uh, interesting week, you'd have to say. There's been a lot of very, very weird stories, a lot of interesting things going on uh, in the world of politics. We've got loads going on across the Atlantic, of course, as well. Uh, Donald Trump indicted last night uh, for his role uh, in supposedly paying off Stormy Daniels. We'll be talking to Sebastian Gorka, himself a former White House aide to Donald Trump uh, when he was in the White House. And of course, uh, he's got the same view that an awful lot of you will have. Uh, which is this is a political stitch up. Uh, it's got nothing, absolutely nothing to do with anything other than stopping Donald Trump uh, from becoming president of the United States again. So we'll take his view on that. We'll also talk to Rafe Haydel manku historian, broadcaster and senior fellow at the New Culture Forum up first. We'll ask him about the situation in America, where politics appears to have infected the justice system, uh, where you've heard... Previously on uh, Jeremy Carl's show this morning, um, an awful lot of Republicans getting done by an awful lot of Democrat-inspired um, lawyers, shall we say. Let's just put it that way. We'll also talk as well about hate crime because we found out yesterday that up at Leicester University, uh, there's a place called the Centre for Hate Studies, uh, which obviously uh, has to find a lot of things to hate, presumably. Otherwise, what would be the point of their existence? We'll also be talking about the full English breakfast because apparently Britain has said no very firmly and quite rightly to hash browns in a full English breakfast. So I'm gonna be talking to you quite a lot about that because whenever I occasionally have a full English breakfast, which not very often, if I ever put a picture out of it, I get so much uh, stick for it because people will say, oh, it shouldn't have beans on it, oh, it shouldn't have mushrooms, it shouldn't have tomatoes, it shouldn't have hash browns, it shouldn't have black pudding, it shouldn't have white pudding, it shouldn't have haggis, that would be a Scottish breakfast, of course, we'll talk about that, uh, of course, as well. Uh, Finland is gonna join NATO Uh, in the next few days, which could change a few things around. And also, we're going to go back to the world of motoring as well, because we're joined uh, by Roads and Local Transport Minister Richard Holden in the first hour. He's going to be telling us exactly how new street works are going to clamp down uh, on all the terrible, terrible state of our roads, the potholes out there. We had Mr Pothole on this week, uh, and exactly why the government isn't doing anything to stop all of this madness like the low-traffic neighbourhoods, the 15-minute cities, the expansion of the ULED zones all over the country. What is going on and why is the government not the friend of the motorists because they get so much money from motorists that they really should be sticking up to them a little bit more. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is the Independent Republican of Mike Graham. We've got Alex Phillips coming up as well. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here. Other big stories on the front pages of the papers, of course, uh, are all to do uh, with the gangland hitman who murdered the schoolgirl, Olivia Pratt Corbell. Front page of The Sun there. Uh, his lover actually shopped him uh, to the police. And his name, of course, uh, is Thomas Cashman. He's 34 years of age. Um, he's going to prison, hopefully, for a very, very long time. We'll be talking about the onset of not just that particular horrible murder, uh, but the onset of gun crime in general in this country. We'll be getting stuck into that a little bit later on. But don't forget, we also now need your calls today because we want to hear your views. This is the one place where we care what you think. 0344 499 1000. Let's kick things off though uh, with Rafe Hadel-Manku from the New Culture Forum. Rafe, a very good morning to you.
2: Good morning, Mike. Pleasure to be with you
1: again. Yes, nice to see you. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Quite late last night that we got the news from New York that uh, Donald Trump had indeed been indicted. I was of the opinion that it probably wouldn't happen because it seems like such a ludicrous thing to do. It seems like such a politically motivated thing to do that most sensible people would look at it and go really? Is this what the best you've got? It's obviously a, a, a manoeuvre to try and either stop him from ever becoming president again, depending on who you speak to, or um, for the Democrats to ensure that he becomes the nominee.
2: Yes, I think that's, that's it, actually. I think the, the thinking here is behind those. I mean, you have to say, I mean, 70% of independents in America actually think that this is a politically motivated indictment. We know full well how Uh, split America is between Democrats and Republicans. But if you get people sitting on the fence, even they can see how this is uh, clearly politically motivated. But I think the logic here is, you know, New York is very much a Democrat state. No Republican will have a fair chance of a fair hearing, even before a grand jury. It doesn't take much to indict someone, it should be said, in America. You just have to have probable cause, and you only need to have a majority. You don't need to have unanimous consent of this grand jury. And, of course, as we know, grand juries in in, in um, New York are very different to a grand jury in Florida or Texas, whether you would have found the same uh, indictment going through in Texas or uh, in Florida. I think that's more of a real test as to whether, uh, you know, tr- Trump's charges are, have much heft to them. But I think the logic here behind the Democrats uh, pushing this forward is that they know that this is going to uh, fuel his base. you will get that grievance, uh, as they, as they view it, Grievance is one of the key drivers of, uh, of, of the Trump supporters, and that's why some say that he's quite keen to see himself being handcuffed and led out, since they know that this will do him a great deal of good in the primary, but they're counting that it, that it will do good on the primary, it will get him into the nomination uh, for the presidency, but that it, will, that it will play against him when it really counts at the general election. And that's going to be the battleground. Does this hurt him at the general election? Or will it or will it actually favour him? Yes, where the the real jury is out.
1: Well, in his statement, which was issued last night, um, Donald J. Trump, 45th president of the United States of America, he says this is political persecution and election interference at the highest level in history. So in a lot of ways, they are kind of playing into his hands, aren't they?
2: Yeah, well, in terms of helping him to secure the nomination of of the party going forward, they're absolutely playing in his hands. But I think they've made a gamble on that. I think they pre- much prefer him to get the nomination than Ron DeSantis, uh, uh, who, who is his main contender for actually for, for securing the Republican nomination. Yeah. And it's quite interesting, actually, if Donald Trump refuses to cooperate and refuses to surrender himself to New York, um, then it becomes a matter of extradition, and it actually falls into the lap of Ron DeSantis, who's governor of Florida. So yeah. If Donald Trump doesn't go, it may actually be his competitor who has to make that, that big decision. Yes. Uh, and, yes is- and, and, and even if, but even if, let's say, let's say uh, Sanders becomes president in the future and Trump is indicted, this is a state's indictment. And the president of America can pardon federal crimes, but he can't pardon state crimes. So he, even if Trump wouldn't be able to pardon himself if he's found guilty, But neither would Ron DeSantis.
1: No, but I mean, surely he won't refuse to go to New York because going to New York with all of the pomp and and, and kind of pageantry around all of that and all of the theatre, that's precisely what he would want people to see because he's he's often said, hasn't he, in the past that he wants to have uh, people put handcuffs on him and he wants to have it all done in public so people can see that they've put him in handcuffs because the merit of the case itself is really not very uh, uh, not very high ranging, is it? I mean, they've got this is a this is a lawsuit which is born out of a sort of almost a private prosecution uh, by the Manhattan District Attorney.
2: Yeah. So this this yeah this basically normally uh, if you if, if if this was just dealing with the payment made to Stormy Daniels, this uh, porn actress in America, this would be a, and it was, if it was if it was a question of cooking the books, that would just be a misdemeanor. So because this is actually a felony indictment, so there is more here than we actually know at the moment. And we aren't privy just yet to the actual counts or charges that are there. We have to wait for those to be fully released. But on the, on the on the look of it, it looks as if there's more here than just the actual payment of this $130,000 hush money. Yeah. But you're quite right, you know, Trump wants to actually make a meal out of this quite rightly. And I'm sure he wants to really expose to people what they already know, that you know, whether, whether it's the FBI or the Department of Justice, or it's or it's le- lefty states like uh, California and New York, if you are a Republican, you have a different... There's a two-tiered system in yes. place right now in American politics, and, and uh, the judiciary has been taken over by this political system. You see this all the time. You know, you had General Petraeus, Republican General Petraeus, indicted over the fact that he had a laptop with classified information. Meanwhile, you had uh, Hillary Clinton on the Democrat side, who had a whole server in her home, chock-a-block yes. full of information nothing happened to her we remember what uh, the, the cover-up of the uh, fbi over the hunter biden um, laptop story yeah. uh, whereas at the same time you had a huge amount of fuss made over alleged russian collusion on trump's side which amounted to nothing and then of course you've got the case right now where uh, a vast amount of um, evidence suggests that money is being transferred from china to the biden family and the uh, Department of Justice are just sitting on yeah. this information and let's not
1: forget to... let's not forget the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago Trump's home um, in Florida where they're still basically um, they still well they still haven't really explained why they did it what they were looking for and haven't produced anything from the raid
2: well this is this is the other point this is actually one of potentially three or even four indictments that President Trump uh, could be facing and um, this actually is the least stable or the least grounded of all the indictments we are actually expecting uh, one or two more indictments to come just over this specific issue you just raised of mar-a-lago um so but i think if they start to to rack up indictment after indictment mm. after indictment i think the public will realize this really is a witch hunt and this really is a, a clumsy attempt to uh to uh, advance a political agenda. Yes,
1: and it all—it already does feel like a political witch hunt because for, so- for some reason, uh, those people are a little bit like the people that hated Boris Johnson, the people that hate Donald Trump are absolutely sort of virulent about their hatred. You know, nothing will ever convince them that anything that he ever did was decent. I mean, we've already had, for example, now the FBI admitting that they think the uh, the COVID Wuhan lab leak uh, theory is more than likely to be what actually happened. But it was dismissed out of hand at the time because Donald Trump said that's what he thought it was.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, this is just it. You know, it's Trump derangement syndrome. It takes a long time to go away the after effects are worse than long covid i think in terms of how long <laughs> people have to uh, apparently the labor under under this sort of a uh, sort of a thing you're quite right on so many issues you know trump has, has a very good record on which he can stand you just have to look at you know on foreign policy and look at to see how much more stable the, the international global scene was yeah. when trump was there no coincidence you know that it was only when biden took over that uh, Putin thought he could test America by going into by going yeah. into the Ukraine and let's not forget uh, he
1: also warned Germany that they were too reliant on Russian gas which also turned you, out to be a pretty a prescient thing to have said
2: yeah that that remarkable scene of him speaking at the united nations mm. where he lectured germany over this and the camera cuts away the German diplomats who were scoffing and guffawing yeah. that Trump thought that there was some issue about being reliant on on Russian energy on Russian energy mm. absolutely correct. Yeah. And of course, has to be remembered. Of course, Obama had more people in cages than uh, the alleged crimes of uh, Trump on that regard. And uh, you know, Obama bombed more. Uh, yeah. People than anybody since it's in the post-war, since the Vietnam War.
1: But this is where we live now, isn't it, Rafe? We live in this kind of alternative universe. Depending on who you like, uh, you have a completely different view of what's actually going on.
2: And it's just the same in this country, isn't it? Yeah. Whether you voted for Brexit or not, or if you're in Scotland, whether you voted for, for independence or not, these are the great fissures of our time. And it's hard to see how there'll be, what the pathway is to a reconciliation here. It's hard to see how we will get back to a state... Not that long ago, you know, back in the 1980s, late 80s, early 90s, in the American's Congress, you would frequently get people like Tip O'Neill on on the Democrat side arguing with with a Republican. And then afterwards, in a heated argument, they'd go for a drink afterwards shake hands. That doesn't happen anymore. There's no socialising even between the two sides and the two parties no. in America. I suspect much the same now in Western. Now West we, West. Have kind of, yeah, we have this kind of, yeah, we have this sort of yet.
1: hatred, don't we? I mean, occasionally you see a bit of friendship uh, across the aisle, but not very often. You more than likely now get, you know, the likes of Angela Rayner at uh, Prime Minister's Questions this week or Deputy Prime Minister's Questions, you know, calling out Dominic Raab for being a bully, Dominic Raab calling her out for, for calling other people scum. You know, it's a very sort of low bar, isn't it?
2: And it's an othering also. As soon as you have an opposing view, suddenly you become the other. And all the other nuances of your of your existence, of your character, of your personality, become secondary to this fact that you are opposing me. Yeah. And therefore, you are the enemy. Uh, you know, in the House of Lords, you've got this nice, lovely idea of crossbenchers who straddle uh, but that, that sort of concept is basically as it died a death in America yeah. and Britain and throughout the Anglosphere.
1: Yeah, absolutely right. Rafe, stay with us if you would. We've got a lot to talk about, including, of course, the Centre for Hate, uh, which can only be good for one thing. Uh, we'll talk a little bit as well um, about the changing of genders in schools without parents' knowledge uh, and much else besides. This is Talk TV. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Sebastian Gorka will be here a little bit later on to talk about Trump as well. This is Talk TV. On your mobile, on your Wavelength, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here at Talk TV. We're talking to Rafe Haydell, Menku, historian, broadcaster, senior fellow at the New Culture Forum. And who better, um, Rafe, than to ask about the full English breakfast? Because there's an organisation called the English Breakfast Society uh, who is today calling for the end of hash browns on the plate because they say it's absolutely not English. It's an import from America. We're talking about Donald Trump in America. Uh, what's your view of the full English breakfast, hash browns or not?
2: Absolutely not. I uh, don't know when this act- this trend came <laughs> in, but it's, you know, and we know we've been speaking about Trump. We know how much he enjoys McDonald's. It actually was the, Mc- the McDonald's hash brown that yeah. brought this nefarious practice into our kitchens. Yes. And I think it's high time that it, that it was banned. You yes. know? We, we, we have to preserve our culture. We're in the new culture forum. And it doesn't get much more of a cultural icon than an English breakfast. or It, it really like I doesn't. Earlier, I mean, Scottish when I lived breakfast. in
1: America, I didn't mind going into a diner and having proper sort of homemade hash browns, which are actually sort of, you know, cubed potatoes and some onion. And you actually but these kind of abominations that you get from McDonald's, which is sort of triangular pieces of whatever. They probably haven't got as much potato in it as as a tomato. Um, you know, they don't seem to be real food to me.
2: Floor, floor sweepings pressed into... Pressed yeah, exactly. Into estate, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It could
1: be literally made up of anything. It could be wallpaper. It could be anything. Anyway, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about um, the big story that's been going this week, which is... From the education world, it was a policy exchange report that came out um, on, the, on the sort of the changing um, attitude of, of, of our children, I suppose, effectively, aided and abetted, you might say, by teachers. 25% we're told now of kids at school are sort of non-binary. Um, we're being told it's a bit of a trend uh, for an awful lot of kids to decide that they want to change their gender. They may It may be a, 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 um, a sort of a temporary thing, but, but teachers are not telling the parents, which I find extraordinary.
2: Yes, we actually did a, a documentary on this at the New Culture Forum, presented by uh, Calvin Robinson, on yeah. the, the, the state of this in our schools and the fact that uh, you know four in ten secondary schools actually also operate uh, you know policies of, of gender self-identification. But it's the fact that uh, at what point have parents lost the right to actually be the final arbiters about their their child's safety? Uh, this is a complete dereliction of duty, as the, as the Policy Exchange report says in terms of a school's requirement, legal requirement to ensure that safeguarding is is paramount. And instead, it's it's very clear now that they are putting untested theoretical gender theory uh, above safeguarding and treating it as facts. One of the great problems that you have here is the reliance in our school system now on external agencies to actually be the uh, instructors in a a lot of this sexual health area, including on gender, and what's quite remarkable we had a, we had a parent on our on, in our documentary who was explaining this she tried to obtain copies of the class materials that were being taught to her to her daughter and it and the school wouldn't give it on grounds of copyright and, and data protection because they they believe that this was the intellectual property of the third party outside source and it'll be a violation of their uh of their copyright if this information was made public to this woman. And so it's quite remarkable that stuff is being taught to children and parents are denied access to see what's actually being taught. And of course, once these things do leak out as children take things home or photograph them on their phones, it's quite shocking, actually, to see the degree to which uh, theory uh, is being presented as, as absolute fact.
1: Yes, absolutely right. Because teachers, in my um, uh, experience, are very happy to get in touch with some of the smallest of details about whether your child, um, you know, didn't wear a jacket in class or whether your child was somehow rude to one of the other teachers or somehow said something which was considered to be out of turn. Uh, But if they want to change their gender, no, 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 you don't need to know about that. You know, it seems a ludicrous situation. But let's have a look at Rishi Sunak, because we're expecting some kind of ministerial guidance to be issued to schools. Um, And here's what Rishi Sunak had to say just the other day.
3: So I'm very concerned about these reports. You know, for me the the safety and well-being of our children is of paramount importance and I've also been clear that parents must be able to know what is being taught to their kids in school, especially on these sensitive areas. That's why we're already reviewing the R H S E guidance to make sure that it is age appropriate for children. But also what I'm also going to say today is that for the summer term we will make sure that we publish guidance for schools so that they know how to respond bond when children are asking about their gender. These are really sensitive areas. It's important that we treat them sensitively and that parents know what's going on and we'll make sure that that happens.
1: I think he's been quite sensible there Rafe um, but there is a kind of creeping sense is there not with all sorts of these these types of issues that you know people are falling over themselves to be sensitive and falling over themselves to ensure that they don't offend anyone And in fact, they end up not doing the job that they should be doing. And they also end up, you know, I've heard um, some people defending this uh, activity by saying, well, some parents might not like what their children are doing. Uh, Some of the children might end up um, in a bad situation with their parents if their parents find out. But that's not surely for the teachers to judge, is it?
2: It's not for the teachers to judge. You're you're quite right. I mean, there may be some exceptional circumstances where if you you know that uh, the parents are, you know, particularly extreme in some capacity or whatever, that you may want me But as a general rule, you're absolutely right. But there's an even more important point here, which is the damage that's being caused potentially to a lot of children Mm. by having schools facilitate this child's social transition in the school setting from one gender to another Mm. without any medical advice or supervision. Teachers aren't qualified to say whether or not it's a good idea for a child to uh, self-identify right. or to facilitate that and to le- allow them to use their own pronouns or perhaps change into a different gender clothing when they get to school. That could have untold da- damage uh, and it's, it's only, it should only un- be under medical supervision. And the provision of a, of a doctor's note or whatever anything like that should actually be uh be, be countenanced, and that's also what is, is argued in the policy exchange document too but i just have to say it's quite wonderful after 10 years over 10 years now of tory rule and just you know we're just months away from the next general election we're finally getting a government that's getting tough on allegedly getting tough <laughs> on my on migrant channel crossings well, allegedly get, getting tough on the on these gender issues it, it, you know you might if you, you know if you were a cynic you might think perhaps that this is just being done now because they can see their potential eradication at the next general election.
1: Yes, well, I mean, it's funny how that somehow stiffens the resolve of people who call themselves conservatives, and they suddenly start grasping for you know anything they can get their hands on that might, like, uh, get the uh, electorate thinking they are actually uh, going to do what they said they would do. But let's finish up uh, with another ludicrous story from this week. Uh, whether or not the countryside is indeed racist, we talked about it yesterday. Apparently, I discovered there's a place in Leicester University uh, called the hates uh, the hates centre and you think well if you're going to call it that you're obviously (laughs) going to spend most of your time looking for things either to hate or for people who do hate
2: yeah i mean this is an absolutely crazy story uh, asking you is the countryside racist or actually say trying to find rural racism you know and it's just i've said for a long time that in britain we're actually living in a post-revolutionary society
0: the independent republic of mike graham on talk
2: radio
1: Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Coming up this weekend, as if uh, we haven't given you enough Fantastic shows throughout the course of this week. Uh, Alex Salmon, the former First Minister of Scotland, guest presents a feisty phone-in show and has his say uh, following a week of very, very engrossing and quite important Scottish politics. This Sunday from 10 a.m., uh, Alex Salmon in uh, for Richard Tice, of course. Uh, so you don't want to miss that. 10 o'clock Sunday, uh, you'll get Alex Salmon and his view of what's going on north of the border because there's quite a lot going on up there, including, of course, uh, some rather difficult organised road changes because in Glasgow, for example, they're talking about reducing the speed of cars going across uh, the Clyde uh, on the M8 to 30 miles per hour to make sure that the air quality is improved. They've also talked about pedestrianising even more of the centre of the city and they've also talked, like many other cities, of putting in an ultra-low emission zone. We've heard that Newcastle have done it now. We've got Sadiq Khan in London talking about expanding it here. Let's talk now to Richard Holden, Roads and Local Transport Minister, because the roads are in the news an awful lot. Richard, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. We've heard an awful lot. In fact, we had, you might have heard of him, Mr Pothole on our show this week, talking about uh, the terrible state of our roads and and how difficult it is for local councils to find the money to fill in the potholes. You've got um, a new streetworks regime on the the way. What are you going to be bringing us?
4: So what we want to do is basically a lot. Of the big problem at the moment is that a lot of the utility companies, um, although uh, that they do a, they do a huge amount of work on our roads, but the part of the problem is they create a lot of potholes uh, when they're doing it. Yeah. Some of them, the, the worst offenders, and that means not only do they then create a pothole problem when they have dug up the road, is then they going to be fixed, and often that means multiple sets of roadworks for road users right across the country. And what we're going to do now as we're basically going to change the regime until today, basically all the companies who take part have been there monitored at a roughly the same level. Now we're going to be targeting monitoring on the worst offenders. We've got a list of the worst offending uh, companies out there, and we're going to be looking at that quarterly and those who uh, keep uh, doing uh, bad works on our roads we'll get um, more penalties and we'll get more inspections uh, in order to try and drive best practice because you know I'm fed with having to give taxpayers cash out um, to basically fund uh, poor works by utility companies mm. we've given the 500 million quid this year for it 200 million pound extra in the budget as well but a lot of this needs to be around prevention and the biggest prevention we can do Uh, which is the biggest uh, issue regarding roadworks, is around where utility companies dig up the roads and then the repairs that they make just aren't good enough. Some of them are very good, but we've got to tackle those Rogues.
1: I mean, you'll probably have noticed it, as, as everybody else has, around this time of year, just as we come towards the end of March, um, there's an awful lot of roadworks going on because a lot of councils are spending their budgets to make sure they get some more money uh, for the same stuff next year. But there are some, and, and I know many people complain to me about this all the time, there's some roadworks that seem to have been going on for years um, you know, there's parts of, of motorways that have been sort of under construction for ages. There's I can point you to a road in southeast London, which has been, I kid you not, um, under construction for the best part of about five years. And you never see anybody doing anything. There's all of these kind of red no. and red and white uh, fences. There's cones everywhere. The the road surface itself is abominable. Um, and, and if you haven't got a four by four car, you don't want to go down there because you'll end up, you know, wrecking the axle. But I mean, it's it's, it's a nationwide problem, this, isn't it?
4: It is. Uh, uh, on top of this, there's other things that we're doing as well. One of them is called uh, lane rental schemes. And this basically has uh, been done uh, recently down in Sussex and I was chatting to some of the uh, council uh, leaders down there. And what that, what that does is the top 5% of most used roads, so the roads, you know, the main roads through a town centre, say, or between towns, what councils can do is apply for these lane rental schemes. And what they do is they can then charge utility companies 2500 quid a day to dig them up. What they've found is, surprise, surprise, the average um, length of roadworks on their roads has gone down from uh, six days to two days. Mm. And also the utility companies uh, are working together in order to avoid these charges. So if they're having to put in, say, water and broadband at the same time, uh, then they're doing it at the same time. I think that's something that, all, see all councils do across the country, um, and, and I really want to encourage them to do it. And then that cash that they raise from those can go into local roadwork repairs uh, particularly in innovative schemes uh, and uh, technology upgrades as well so there's a, quite a few th- things that local councils can do I want to give them the powers to do it uh, and but the key thing I want to do is that basically what you said Mike is I don't want to see as many potholes there in the first place because that means huge amounts of work uh, and uh, which takes place and then keeps those roads blocked day after day, week after week. And people are fed up of have seen the same stretches constantly being dug up mm. time after time.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a problem with, with roads in this country as well, I think, because an awful lot of local councils seem to have adopted this kind of slightly anti-car user approach to the way that they want their traffic systems to work. You know, we've got more and more... Uh, Places like Oxford, uh, Bristol, I think, are doing it. Bath are doing it. You know, looking at low traffic neighbourhoods, trying to keep cars going around out out to outer, ring roads, that kind of thing. There's a sense, again, from a lot of people that we speak to on this show and on this station, that, you know, they don't like cars very much. They're trying to discourage you from using them. They're trying to discourage you from driving them. And yet, you know, car drivers pay massive amounts in road tax, in fuel tax. and, And the exchequer would be very, very loathed, I would imagine, to be without that money.
4: Yeah, no, Mike, you're absolutely right. 90% of journeys in this country are made uh, on the road network. uh, And uh, of those, you know, even that, uh, so this is a good start as well. Three times as many people will take a bus journey as they'll take a rail journey as well. And you know what? They're on the roads as well. So are the coaches, which do a lot of intercity travel for particularly young people as well. So this is right across the sector um and i'm fed up of seeing these local councils do this in some places i think a lot of it's politically motivated rather than motivated by good science yeah. and uh you know you just look at the who runs these local authorities right it's uh, it's not um usually conservative uh, councils mm. uh, in these areas uh, it's it's often the um labour lib dems and the greens and, and what i would say is that particularly when it comes to eules the prime minister was very clear at pmqs you know the, uh, there was a, con- a consultation done by the uh, Mayor of London uh, which excluded several thousand people who got involved in it and uh, the Prime Minister suggested uh, that the Mayor might want to think again uh, and I think that's a-, a sensible thing to do what I want to do you know I'm Minister for Roads and Local Transport of course I want to see people on our public transport network but that's because that's the way we do that is by offering a good public transport network not bullying people out of their cars you know my constituency of northwest durham where i'm sat right at the moment i don't have any train line at all on the national rail network and um, you know and i want to see you know and, and, and i've got a, you know i'm not got a wealthy constituency either a car is an absolute necessity for people for many people here and the buses are a necessity for other people here and I want to see our roads in a good state and I want to see um, proper things applied to uh, to ensure that uh, wherever possible our roads are kept in the best state. And I don't want to see people uh, bullied out of using uh, their cars. Either. No.
1: And I mean, we've got a case in point at the moment in London whereby uh, Sadiq Khan's about to try and expand the, the ULEZ zone, the ultra low emission zone. A lot of people have always asked me if you can get a minister on the show, can you please ask them? Can you not overrule that? Can you not stop? That expansion, because an awful lot of ordinary people, hardworking people, are going to be hit massively in the pocket just to get in their car uh, somewhere near Orpington, for example, in Kent, and, and go down the shops.
4: Yeah, and it's not just people in London, Mike. It's people in, right across the home counties in Essex, Kent, Surrey, Sussex, you know, Hertfordshire, or people often doing uh, jobs where they either have to have a van uh, to carry trades goods or, um, you know, might be doing critical work or even just attending... Uh, you know, uh, to see family and friends, or uh, or other services they need to access, and I, I think that um, the mayor of London needs to think again about this. Him. The truth is, I can't block him. Uh, I, I, that would require me to basically take his powers away. The truth is, though, that the people can make a decision on this. It wasn't in his manifesto to expand the Ulez zone. To the, end of, uh, to, to the edge of the Greater London boundary. So he's going beyond what he said in his manifesto. And uh, next year, there'll be an election for Mayor of London. And if people don't like what he's doing, then actually people have the power in London. Uh, they have that democratic accountability, and they can say what he thinks.
1: Yeah, well, let's let's see if, if, if that can happen because there's an awful lot of pressure being brought from some of the local councils around the outskirts of London as well. Final question for you, Richard. Not road related. Um, big uh, controversy this morning is all about breakfast an English breakfast and a full English breakfast, um, whether hash brown should be part of it or not. Now you're up in the northeast. I would imagine you've got your own sort of regional variation. But but what, what's your view?
4: I, I quite like a hash brown actually, uh, but it's uh, it's going to be there with. Uh, with some scrambled egg for me as well, um, but I was as I was listening to your last caller controversial. As, well, uh, <laughs> as I was listening to your last caller as well, I think um, you, if, if if I've had a big fried breakfast, what I do need is a nice walk in the countryside as well, <laughs> and uh, there's nowhere better to do that than up here in County Durham. Teesside, Weardale and the Durham Dales. Sandwiched in between uh, Yorkshire Dales and Northumberland, the forgotten part of the country, but it's absolutely beautiful.
1: Yeah, well, brilliant stuff. Well, I hope hope you have a good weekend. Thanks very much indeed, Richard Holden, Roads and Local Transport Minister uh, there, with uh, an expansion, hopefully, uh, of the amount of money made available to fix the roads and to make them actually a little bit more smooth. Because the state of some of the roads in this country is, quite frankly, abominable. It's not a word I use very often, but I quite like it. Coming up, I'm going to tell you exactly what should be. In a full English breakfast. And I will brook no opposition, but please, if you wish to, you can take part uh, in my little survey as to what should actually be in it. Beans, should they? Should they be in it? Uh, Hash browns, definitely not. I'll tell you all about it coming next on Talk TV.
0: The home of common sense. Talk radio and Talk TV.
1: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Get ready for awful April. That's apparently what's coming starting tomorrow. It's April Fool's Day but uh, unfortunately we are the ones who I think are being played for fools because the bills that you're already paying a fortune for are going to go up even more. We're talking council tax, we're talking broadband, we're talking water, prescriptions, all manner of things that you pay out on a monthly basis for uh, are going up. Apparently uh, it's going to be the most brutal cost of living crunch since the 1950s, uh, according to people who know a typical family will be £680 worse off a year as a result of all the things you're going to have to be paying so uh, if you can give me some examples of what your council tax has gone up to what your broadband has gone up to and all of that uh, by all means let us know 0344 499 1000 Mark from Sunbury says this about gender ideology there are clear parallels between the ideological capture of the schools and the police service both institutions now pose a danger to the very people they are meant to protect and support the commonalities the reliance of these institutions on recruits from a totally corrupted society university system, and until the evils of communism and collectivism are treated with the same disgust and revulsion as fascism in our universities, things will only get worse. Uh, well, this is the thing uh, that we were talking to uh, the author, Matt, uh, the other day about, um, when he was saying that in his new book, he's decided there is this new elite, which has kind of emerged from all of our universities. They're all uh, they're all graduates, they're all kind of champagne socialists, they're the kind of people that, that have spawned uh, the likes of um, Alistair Campbell, uh, of Gary Lineker, of all these people who are sort of, you know, now out there. Matt Goodwin uh, was saying that they're all out there now and they've sort of gripped the establishment. Some people were going, don't be ridiculous, the Tories have been in charge for 12 years. What do you mean the establishment is all lefty? Well, it is. That's where we are. Let's talk to Alex Phillips, political advisor, uh, member of the Reform Party and former MEP, of course, as well. Alex, very good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. We're going to kick off I suppose with what we what what we are kind of being confronted with now both kind of culturally and financially, you know, because we've got this kind of what I regard as a lefty establishment, we're having these conversations about gender uh, in schools where teachers are not telling parents what their kids are up to. Um, we've got the Centre for Hate in Leicester University where they're asking whether the countryside is racist. We've got, you know, the migrant problem going on. You know, you just don't know where to begin, really. But, but we do seem to have kind of shifted somehow. The, the You know, the, 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 the country seems to have tilted somehow in the last 10 years, doesn't it?
5: Yeah, it really does. You know, if I'd been in a coma for a decade and woken up, I'd have thought we'd been under a radical socialist government. Um, and it's alarming. It's the rate of change as well that mm. people find really, really concerning. But the reason why there is this compulsion to change so quickly is because anybody who thinks these neo-activisms, whether it's trans debates, whether it's BLM, whether it's the climate emergency, if anybody thinks that these are naturally, organically coming from the grassroots up, which is what Mm. activism normally does, Mm. are deluding themselves, this stuff is coming from the top down. It's being imposed upon us. It's being imposed upon us by social media, by the dot-com bros in Silicon Valley, by woke people running big corporations. It is not what the general public want. And I think actually if you start following the money, there are some pretty sinister indicators as to why this is happening, especially when you look at the techno medical um, alliance that, that that's sort of being born out of America, who are now imposing essentially what is a psychological condition, gender dysphoria, onto young people. Mm. Now that is really alarming. Yes not have a situation where young people are questioning their biology. I mean, certainly these can be adult conversations. You might have an inclination of something growing up fine. When you're an adult and you can start analyzing that, then you might want to take some medical steps. But, you know, gender dysphoria actually only naturally occurs in about 0.3% of the population. You now have a situation where in certain school years, particularly among girls, that is around one third, because what's being generated is a mass hysteria. And these young girls who normally may have other things going on in their lives, they may be being bullied, they may be autistic, they may feel like they're isolated, they may feel really pressured by other apps like Instagram into looking perfect and you know having the perfect body and being a mini Kardashian. And so for them, when the suggestion is made, oh, perhaps you can just be a man instead, life is easier, mm. lot of them are being drawn to this but it's dangerous because then it it takes the steps of encouraging these young girls to start doing things to their bodies and actually things like gender dysphoria don't really happen among women. It's very much a male-led disease. So yeah. we really do have to look at what's going on here. And it has no place in our schools.
1: Well, this is it. And it certainly has no place in schools where the parents are kind of kept out of the loop as well, because that seems to be what's going on, according to this report in Policy. It shows you're right about the fact that it's being sort of imposed upon us, because you know a thing or two about grassroots activism. You know, the Brexit Party uh, was born out of that. And and your service in, in, in the European Parliament came from there because people's attitudes haven't changed in this country, I don't think, but it's the establishment that's trying to change things.
5: Right. Now, what's actually happening is what you might call disembodiment. There's a big push now to avatarize people. I mean, that's the sort of word I've just invented, but it's... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze
0: PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
5: Essentially, strip us of our humanity, of our biological truths, and turn us into essentially virtual, you know, two dimensional caricatures online. Because once you do that, once you dehumanize the human and turn them into a unit plugged into an interface, so to speak, it's far easier to control them. And so it's no surprise actually, at the same time we've got conversations happening about artificial intelligence. You've got the big social media platforms pushing things like the metaverse Um, that you've now also got this other movement suggesting to children that they aren't little girls and little boys, but they can pick their identity essentially being rendered into non-humans because actually these sort of nouveau big corporations find it far easier to deal with us if that is what we are. And I've done a lot of research and a lot of study into what people think are zeitgeists, you know, these campaigns that spring up out of nowhere. A black criminal, you know, is killed at the hands of white police in America and it becomes a worldwide phenomenon. I'm sorry, this doesn't happen just naturally and organically. Political parties would pay the earth to have that sort of reach and impact and global influence, these things take really complex curation and choreography with bots, the dark web, to amplify and maximise certain topics. And the people doing this are actually the enemies of the West. The people who are funding and sponsoring and pushing certain topics, whether trans rights, whether mm. be are usually the people who want Western society to be divided. And I've done a whole lot of research into this. Take, for example, when everyone got up in arms about LGBTQ rights in Qatar, since forgotten about it, right. when two-thirds of the world actually outlaw homosexuality in some way, why pick Qatar? Well, the reason was, at the same time as the World Cup, Qatar was selling us LNG liquid natural gas, which we desperately needed to keep the lights on this winter. And the likes of Russia, the likes of Saudi, the countries in OPEC who are putting up oil prices didn't want this to happen. So what did they do? They helped to flood the internet with a narrative that people in the UK and Germany, it was these two countries had a big problem with LGBT rights issues in Qatar to try and stop that deal going through. So, when people are sort of jumping on the bandwagon and putting the little emojis or twibbons or whatever it is on their social media profiles and think that they are somehow morally superior and better educated, they're actually essentially being the slaves of those people who want our culture and our country
1: yeah and of course now we've got some of the high-tech leaders if you want to call them that in in the world like Elon Musk and others from uh, from Facebook etc saying oh we have to be very careful about artificial intelligence we have to make sure that we don't go too far and create something that can actually do away with humans altogether well what did they think would happen if they started (laughs) doing that you know of course that's where it's going to go
5: Right, and this is the thing, someone like Elon Musk has looked under the bonnet, he's bought Twitter and he understands now how Twitter has been working to try and prevent or silence certain narratives and massively scale up and project other narratives, how it's been essentially manipulated by the people who work there and their political affiliations to distort the truth, to get rid of Hunter Biden's laptop story and instead encourage the sort of thing we're now seeing today with the, you know, constant witch hunt against Donald Trump think what you might like about Donald Trump I think it's almost hard to believe that somehow this isn't uh, you know not organized or choreographed by oh, people of course who- it is yeah there's
1: no question but but because of the way Twitter has been operating and because of the way that political kind of um silos have been built now you know you either believe that Donald Trump is the worst criminal uh, in the history of the world or you you think this is a political witch hunt there really isn't anywhere in between
5: Right, and the problem is this is really dangerous for America because what it's actually provoking, what it's actually trying to inflame is something akin to civil war. Mm. And America at civil war is really bad for the Western world. It's really good for our enemies. So imagine right now who might be organizing their bot farms just outside of Moscow or Mm. just outside of Tehran and making sure that this Trump debate really kicks off and gets as big as possible until Americans take to the streets and start battling each other. It's not necessarily the Americans. And this is what I think the Western world needs to wake up to. We're being taken for a ride. We're passengers very often on a social media journey and if anyone needs to start getting woke, it's the woke themselves. Yeah.
1: What's your critique of the government this week? Because it changes for me from week to week. You know, the shop window politics of Rishi Sunak this week, he said uh, that uh, he's going to get some barges to put some uh, migrants on. Uh, then he said he was going to repatriate some people. Then he said he was going to make sure that they got rid of the backlog by the end of uh, December. Now they're going to open up some new camps for them. You know, every day it's a sort of, you know, Sunak of the day
5: policy. Uh, but is any of it actually going to work? Well, you know, I like to call him headline Rishi for exactly what you're saying. He's very good at suddenly kidding us all, isn't he? Gaslighting us into believing that he's got an effective operation underway. Mm. The next thing you know, nothing comes to pass. I actually like Rishi. I always thought he's quite decent and competent and is a man who wants to get things done. But the rest of that dreadful party underneath him will try and sabotage him at every step. We've already seen this. We've already seen, you know, the, the legislation he's put forward to try and make sure that UK courts can face down the ECHR and say, no, these people will be deported. The flights to Rwanda will take off. Who's trying to pull it apart and tear it apart? The Conservatives yeah. themselves. They're a coalition government. So this is the problem. Whatever Rishi proposes is only ever going to be headline for a day, disaster, not followed through, not fit for purpose the next. And who's he got to blame? His own party. You can expect the opposition to be opposition but once you've been a government who at one point had an 80 seat majority you should be getting things done frankly it's very clear isn't it you've got a government that can't and another government in waiting that won't so we're doomed yeah
1: it's not good is it well i mean is the reform going to offer a, a viable
5: alternative do you think at the next election You know, I think that the whole purpose of reform, the the clues in the title, reform, because that's what we need now. We need mass reform. There's no point sitting there and saying, oh, well, you know, it's a two-party system, first past the post. That's what we've always had. If we change it, we don't know what's coming down the tracks. We need to change it. It is not right that you have a two-party system where they both feel like they own your vote and therefore don't need to do anything to deliver for you. Um, So I think that, you know, with collective will, If enough people get together and say, we want change, that is when change happens in a democracy. So it's actually now Uh, Really important that people out there don't feel politically homeless, but do realise that there is an alternative who aren't on the right, who aren't on the left, who aren't going to split the Tory vote because they don't own a vote, who aren't going to get Labour in because they don't own a vote either, but represent you. And enough people say, OK, I need something new. I want to see full-scale reform. Then they will get it. But if you don't vote for it, if you don't back it, it's not going to happen.
1: Big question of the day, of course, to finish up with. Uh, hash Browns on a full English breakfast, yes or no? Hell no.
5: God, no. <laughs> That's disgusting. That's some American hyper-processed, filthy, you know, the artist that used to be a potato rendered into some sawdust, triangular structure of doom. You wouldn't find one anywhere near, my God. Very
1: well said. Thank you very much indeed. Alex Phillips, political advisor, reform party, of course, former MEP. Uh, here's one from John. Uh, who says, Mike, breakfast porridge with salt and full cream, followed by kippers and eggs. Well, that's not bad. I don't mind any of that. But what it isn't is a full English. This is Talk TV.
0: On your mobile, on your wavelengths, talk radio and Talk TV.
1: Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We're about to talk to my favourite restaurateur, Mr James Chiaverini, the owner of Il Portico uh, over in West London in Kensington. Uh, hash browns are an intrusive American import that have no place on a true blue patriotic British breakfast plate. Leftover roast spuds sliced and fried are the way forward, says Steve. Well, actually, I don't have a problem with it. The actual original kind of hash browns in America, which are basically potatoes and onions kind of chopped up and fried, they're really good. It's just this kind of abomination of, it as uh, as you heard Alex Phillips describe it, as a triangle of doom uh, that you get from uh, McDonald's and or uh, your local freezer place, you know, when you just chuck it into the pan. It's just not right. It is not right at all. As far as breakfast goes, Peter says, drop the toast and add sautéed potatoes. I've recently started making my own US diner style, 8-inch diameter restaurant hash brown i must say that does look pretty good a lot of people saying fried bread must be there as well let's talk to the man himself the expert on all things to do with food james Kiaverini. james very good morning to you
6: Good morning, Mike. Very nice
1: to see you again. Good to see you. Um, We've got a couple of serious stories to to get to with you, but let's start with the full English breakfast. Apparently there's a full English breakfast society. I don't know if you do breakfast in any of your uh, gaps, but but, I mean, my basic principle of breakfast, I was reading it out earlier, is sausage, bacon, fried egg, um, black pudding and toast. And I think anything else is an abomination.
6: Yes. Well, I'd agree with you on that, especially with baked beans, which I think are the worst thing. Definitely not baked beans. Definitely not hash browns. Anything that touches baked bean just doesn't deserve to be on my plate. But (laughs) I would go double up on the black pudding for sure. And uh, that's one of those dishes that you never need to find anymore. Black pudding made the old way with proper fresh blood. Yeah. The way that it was always done for generations, generations, can't be beaten. Right.
1: right. Well, one of my favourite types of it, actually, is the Spanish kind of black pudding. Do, they do, do the Italians do it? Because I, I know the... Uh, I can't remember the name yeah, of it. Yeah, in, 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 yeah, sanguinaccio. I, I can't remember the name of it in Spanish. But, but you know, you get it any really tapas. Mosilla. That's it. Yeah, that's really good, isn't it? Yeah.
6: yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Black pudding's been one of those dishes that's been made uh, in every country... You know, since since the dawn of man, right. um, and it's it's an absolutely delicious, but nobody really makes it properly anymore, unfortunately.
1: Well, I don't know about that. I'm going go over to Borough Market occasionally you'll see some quite nice-looking stuff, but but I'll take your word for that. But let's talk a bit about this, um, this terrible story that came out this week where we can't even find out the name of the company that was supplying so many of the uh, the supermarkets with with this horrible sort of rotting meat. Now, one, I don't even understand how they could mm. get away with doing that, but it's made a lot of people start asking questions about the food chain and about the way that mass-produced food really uh, isn't terribly good for us. I know that you and I agree that that, you know, the smaller the, the, the holding, you 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 famously you kill your own food. So, so we know how how you get your food <laughs> supply. But but you know, is there a problem in the food chain? There's a lot of people are saying to me, how has this not been picked up earlier by the sort of health and safety people?
6: What fascinating! Because this is the first time in our history that we have a food industry, Mike. Mm. Before supermarkets, there was no food industry you ate ancestry traditionally according to what your and your grandparents and your great grandparents ate and you went to your butcher if you didn't slaughter your own livestock then there was a man you had a local abattoir where you could take your luck and they would slaughter it for you and, and it was a professional local service and everything was controlled and everything was done on the basis of deserved trust yeah. when soup kits came into the tree in 1957 same year that we opened a portico here so that's only 56 years we've had them the whole gambit of food industry stock was bought, and the whole chain completely changed. And in my opinion, changed 100% for the worse. And what happens is now, the supermarkets are not interested in trust, not interested in quality. They're interested in shelf life, and they're interested in price, and that's it. So, you know, any of the big chain supermarkets will be the same, and if they can get get a pork product cheaper than anywhere else, then they will do. Mm. And the corners will eventually be cut, and you're going to have more and more of this scandal with the horse meat scandal. And like we're now seeing with this, um, with this scandal of this book, which has been packaged as British, which isn't British. And the raw meat that's being left to thaw out on factory floors. I mean, it's, it's unsurprising that uh, that is happening because of the relentless bringing down quality and price all in favor of shelf life because mm. they don't want to get stuck with long stock. I mean, if you want to, if you want to avoid this stuff, just go to well, go to your a, local friendly butchers, yeah. and and, uh, and he'll look after you.
1: And that's and that's what more and more people probably are beginning to do. Because my worry about this kind of scandal uh, is that nobody ever really seems to get punished. Nobody ever seems to be hauled no. over the coals. The businesses don't no. get shut down, um, and it's for them just a sort of temporary blip, isn't it?
6: Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent, Mike. a one hundred percent. Stay away from these places as much as possible. Keep it, keep it local. Keep it a key base so you know, you you know them, and there's an accountability there, which is very, very, very important when you when the in the food chain. The problem is, is you think accountability just completely dissipates. Yeah. You know, and uh, and also you don't get any nice quality and. Most butchers aren't any more expensive than the local supermarket
4: no. now. To
1: be produced. well, especially now, because supermarkets seem to be just sort of thinking of a number and adding some more to it and going, that's what it costs now. Um, I was astonished the other week when yes. I ordered some bottled water to find that what used to be six uh, bottles for two ninety nine has now gone up to about four fifty five quid, and there can't be any really reason for that. You know, why is water suddenly more expensive?
6: Yes, I think a lot of that is to do with glass, which apparently comes mostly out of Ukraine. I mean, it's re- what's been really interesting is... No, that these the are war plastic war bottles, Ukraine, though. It's not is glass. E-
1: it's just plastic oh, bottles.
6: I have no idea in that case. I have no idea in that case. But, I mean, it's been really interesting to see how much things have been, how vulnerable we are to the uh, to global market since the war in Ukraine. And this is why, if you want to insulate yourself, just keep it local. I've got a very, very, very good mate of mine from Essex who makes the best sausage roll you're you ever eating in your life. And he can't, you know, and he wants to start it up as a business. And I, you know, we were talking about it yesterday. And I said, look, these are absolutely delicious, but no simple will take them. All they're into the shelf life, yeah. and you don't put any E numbers or any rubbish into it, so they won't take it. It's just that simple.
1: Right. And coming up to uh, what well, what is being referred to as awful April, everybody's bills are going up. How are you getting on in the restaurant <laughs> business? Because um, I'm seeing yeah. people out and about in London now, um, but cost of everything must be going through the roof for
0: you.
6: Yeah, it is, but you know what, Mike? It doesn't matter. All that matters is you get up in the morning, and if you can get, get it to the end of the day, and if you can pay your staff and your customers are happy, you can keep your open. Then you live to fight another day. Yeah, and that, and you know, and you just and you've got to have faith that things will get better, and they will get better because at the end we we faced world Solution before, and we've always come out you know, smelling of roses, and we will do again this time. It's Excellent. just a temporary glitch, that's all it is. All right.
1: Well, listen, I've been working way too hard recently, so pretty soon I've got to work a bit less and come and have dinner over there. So I'll see you soon. Um, you
6: do, you do. We but, had we, we had your colleague Piers in last yes. night for his birthday dinner, so you, it's about time that you to visit as well.
1: Well, I will certainly do that, James. Thanks very much indeed. James Chiaverini, uh, a little bit of a dodgy connection there. The owner of the Portico Restaurant, I know many of you who listen to this show uh, have gone there and enjoyed it. It's a great place over in Kensington. Uh, He's got a couple of other places going on there as well. Martin uh, is in London. Hello, Martin. Hi, Mike. I Um, hear you've got an opinion on the great British breakfast or the English breakfast. Oh,
3: yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one word, black pudding. Yes, got to be done. Yeah, and also lava bread, but I guess that's a Welsh breakfast. So yes, I I'll suppose it is. I'm
1: quite a, quite a fan of lava bread, but I think that would be considered Welsh, wouldn't it? Yeah, it,
3: it is definitely Welsh, unless, of course, you live in North Devon.
1: Uh, yeah, OK. And what do you want to say about um, the, the roads and the uh, the charging and the ULES and all that?
3: Right, you probably remember my call a couple of weeks ago um, from uh, the Socialist Republic of Enfield. Yes, of um, course. Yeah, I, I spoke to you about the uh, sort of kind of thing in the Tories because they, uh, they're they not really doing anything about the US. Mm. Uh, um, yeah, I think it's a bit cynical that they're looking at it saying election uh, coming up. Um, anyway, uh, I had a, a petition request from yes. Susan Hall, the uh, leader of uh, oh, yes. the Assembly. Right. And I wrote to her emailed her and said, look, I'm a card-carrying member of the Tory party and Mr Khan has made it quite clear he has no intention of listening to public speaking, public opinion and I believe him. I would therefore suggest that the problem lies with the Conservative response. Anyway, she's written back to me. Ah. Saying what? Um, Right, well... She says that she agrees, that she's glad we're in agreement. She also said that she would like the government to find a way to stop the U.S. expansion, but believes that uh, if they quash it, the government will risk being judicially reviewed and having the decision struck out. Yes. If that was that, it would almost impossible. To stop well, that was more or less what
1: Richard Holden said, who's the roads and local transport minister, because I asked him if he would consider stopping Sadiq Khan from, from expanding this ULEZ zone, and he basically said, well, they would only be able to do that if they stripped him of his powers, which does sound like a more serious thing to do than just to say, don't do it.
3: Hmm. I think they should do that. The guy's mad. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I
1: think I think the people don't want it. Certainly motorists don't want it. Um, and people up and down the country are revolting against all of these things. So we'll see what we can do. Martin, thank you very much indeed uh, for your call. We've got much more to do, uh, much more coming up, of course. Coming up next, we're going to be speaking about the NHS because um, we didn't actually do it the other day, but a, a, a survey came out in which it said that the public's faith in the NHS is at an all-time low and of course the lefties out there all said oh well it's because the Tories have been running it for 12 years can we please stop saying that it's nonsense it's the NHS which has run itself into the ground by hiring the wrong people putting the wrong people in charge making the management structure ridiculously overburdened with people and just generally not being very good at their jobs that's the truth We'll find out. Uh, Coming next with Martin Gower, former NHS Trust Chair. This is Talk TV.
0: The home of common sense. Talk radio and Talk TV.
1: Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We are here, of course, all the way through until 1 o'clock tonight at 7. It's Plank of the Week. Uh, Don't want to miss that because there's plenty of plankery going on out there, Uh, not least up in Scotland, where the Scottish National Party seems to have torpedoed its own ambition uh, by getting rid of anybody sensible and replacing them uh, with people who are completely insensible. Uh, You'll find out exactly what we mean at 7 o'clock tonight. Uh, Breaking news here at the moment is that England cricket legend Michael Vaughan has been cleared of using racist language which is a Yorkshire player, Um, and uh, Piers Morgan has tweeted about it saying basically he's very happy for his friend. It was a grossly unfair witch hunt. Uh, It turns out that yet again, you know, uh, those who like to support, um, you know, the campaigns against hate, the campaigns against racism and homophobia and transphobia have got it wrong. It turns out there wasn't any racism there, uh, and it turns out that actually Michael Vaughan can now be reinstated, as he should be, uh, to be uh, a BBC pundit, because in fact... It was all a load of old cobblers. Speaking of which, uh, let's go live over to America now, the United States of America, where one Dr. Sebastian Gorka is waiting to tell us exactly what's going on with the other witch hunt on the other side of the pond, which is, of course, the one against Donald Trump, the President of the United States, the 45th President of the United States, possibly to become the 47th. Uh, You never know. Um, Sebastian, a very good morning to you over there.
0: Greetings, cobblers or bollocks. (laughs) It's an absolute bloody outrage.
1: Well, it really is. I mean, I was speaking earlier this week to somebody who asked me about what was likely to happen. And I said, well, surely the Democrats would be crazy uh, to bring an indictment. Surely the Manhattan attorneys would be crazy to bring an indictment because all it's going to do is make Donald Trump even more popular amongst his supporters, isn't it?
0: Well, not just that, Mike. It's going to make him popular amongst those who didn't vote for him. Remember, two years ago, he garnered 74 million votes, Mm. most of any incumbent president. And then people who are apolitical, maybe don't see themselves as conservatives, are going to say, look at this and go, hang on a second. Um, Stormy Daniels signed an NDA with President Trump seven years ago, and now they're trying to trump up some fraudulent business statement and connect it to election financing law, they're going to say, this is nuts. This Mm. is crazy. So I think it's going to actually, you know, as we say in America, red pill tens of millions of other people who say this isn't justice. This is so if you're a Democrat, this isn't logical. I I I say this on my radio show almost every day. They have become hostages to their own ideology they're not thinking rationally they just so detest this man that they're taking this action that you know it's like that last scene in the original Star Wars when you know Obi-Wan says to Darth Vader if you strike me down now I will be stronger than you can ever imagine exactly what they're doing yeah.
1: It's really bizarre, isn't it? And it's the same kind of derangement syndrome that they suffer from there as the people here suffer uh, from against Boris Johnson. They're not happy that he's lost his job. They're not happy that he's no longer Prime Minister. They will only be happy when they've prevented him from ever coming back again, uh, like some kind of, you know, return of Batman or something. And it's bizarre. It's like, move on. There are things, other things to do. And quite frankly, um, if you look around what's going on in the world at the moment, the world was actually a lot safer when Donald Trump was president than when old sleepy... Uh, joe was in
0: yeah look look at what's happened when when we were in the white house uh the bad guys behaved themselves whether it was Jinping, little kim in north korea we crushed isis literally we unleashed special forces got the lawyers out of the way within five months the caliphate of isis was destroyed and russia behaved themselves what happened when obama was in office oh they took crimea what happened now that biden's in office they invaded ukraine again that's the reality but but to just go back to what you said previously let's be clear here this isn't just the 45th president of the united states to use a british term he is the leader of the opposition in every poll he beats any other candidate. The, the, the second candidate is the Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. President Trump is beating him between 20 and 40 points in the polls. So they're trying to take out not just a former president, but somebody who very likely could be the next president mm. in two years of time.
1: It's very odd, though, listening to some Democrats, as we do here from time to time. Some of them say, well, of course, um, President Trump is our secret weapon, because if he can't, if he's the candidate against Joe Biden, then, of course, Joe Biden will win like he did last time. And then you've got the other Democrats on the other side of the table going, well, you know, he must be stopped because we can't have him in the White House. Well, they can't have it both ways, surely.
0: Well, yeah, they can. Uh, (laughs) Quote my good buddy, Chris Plant, who has the, the radio show here in D.C., if uh, if they didn't uh, if, if 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 there weren't double standards the democrats wouldn't have any standards <laughs> uh, standards at all so look uh, the, the the fact is um let's look at what happened between 16 and 20 this is i'm just going to take politics out of it just talk about mathematics president trump got 63 million votes when he was elected president 4 years later after just calumny 24 7 vituperative slandering calling him a misogynist an islamophobe a racist a white supremacist and then eventually they actually said he's a literal nazi what happened in the second election in 2020 he garnered 74 million he actually got 11 million more votes after they tried to slander him for four years and by the way just a little a little interesting piquant fact never before in history has a president received more votes in his second election and lost the election, which makes you kind of scratch your head a little bit.
1: <laughs> Didn't he also get more votes than Barack Obama got when he won? Yeah.
0: And we're supposed, to, we're supposed to believe that this doddering senile old git got more votes than the first black president. We know what happened with Biden and the 81 million mailed out ballots and COVID and everything else. So yeah, we're supposed to believe a man who literally can't make joined up sentences, Mm. received more votes than Obama. A man who after the Nashville shooting happened on Monday, five hours later comes down for a press conference. And I don't know if you played the cut, talked about chocolate chip ice cream Mm. as dead children were still lying in that school.
1: Unbelievable, and he's also a guy—is he not—who can't find his way off the stage? You know, you think he was—he yeah. uh, was on a military vessel the other day, and he couldn't find his way off that. He's lucky he didn't fall in the sea. You know, and the idea that this guy is going to be fit for purpose in any way, shape, or form for the next election is a joke. But I don't see anybody else coming from the Democratic side, do you?
0: Well, there are people who would like it—the governor of California, Gavin Newsom. Oh, the- great. The nephew of the former Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, uh, the diminutive uh, gay uh, uh, minister, as you would say, of transport, Pete Boot Edge, who has asked when it comes to rail security in America, people are lauding him so that we can have more diversity. Of course, Kamala, the vice president, would like to step into his shoes. But right now, if you listen to him and if you listen to his real boss, his wife, Joe Biden, who was recently asked. Uh, You can see the hunger in her eyes. She wants another four years in the White House. So Mm. it's incredible. I mean, this is when you realize it it is a derangement syndrome. A a senile old man, they want to vote for him again. If you look at two million illegal immigrants in the last year, 110,000 overdose deaths, from fentanyl in just the last 12 months, the disaster of Afghanistan, on and on, on, inflation, you name it. And this is the guy they want to run again. That's why these people aren't logical, Mike.
1: They really aren't logical in any way, shape or form. But let's just look as well at the actual indictment itself, because I was told earlier in the week uh, by by a legal expert that, you know, the the level uh, of sort of uh, the bar, if you like, of, of criminality has to be a lot higher to convict on this indictment than to actually get the indictment in the first place. And there's pretty low chance that it would even go uh, to a successful trial, even though it's in uh, New York. But the, the, the fact is, they're allegedly saying, are they not, that money that was given to Stormy Daniels should have been coming, should not have been coming from Donald Trump. Well, we've now got Donald Trump's lawyer saying it didn't come from Donald Trump. So I don't really understand what the case is.
0: Yeah. So this is a technicality. It's called misstatement of business finances, which is always a misdemeanor and has a statute of limitations of 24 months. This happened seven years ago. So now in some weird Monty Python-esque plot, Alvin Bragg, the the DA, who was funded to the tune of a million dollars by George Soros, is trying to tie it to campaign finance laws. They're saying, well... Uh, you paid your lawyer and your lawyer paid her, therefore you wa- it wasn't a legal expense, it was hush money, and it accrued you benefits in an election, therefore it should have been declared to the FEC. And that letter, there you go, there is the star witness, President Trump's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, his, his barrister saying what? Uh, I want to stipulate now for the record. This wasn't President Trump's money. It was my client, Michael Cohen's money. And it has nothing to do with the election or the Trump organization. That document alone should have collapsed any concept of any kind of charges against President Trump. But again, we're not talking about, you know, rational actors. They want President Trump next week. To be in central booking in Manhattan with the prostitutes, with the crack addicts, with the muggers and the rapists, having his mugshot taken so they can use it for the election. But I tell you this, Mike, that mug mugshot, as Elon Musk Elon Musk, who's no Trump, you know, booster, has said, that mugshot will guarantee that he becomes the forty-seventh mm-hmm. president. Well, it does seem
1: incredibly short-sighted of them all to do it. And Trump himself has said that, you know, he wouldn't care uh, if they put handcuffs on him. Mean, he'd be quite, be quite happy to be pictured with handcuffs on. It does seem ludicrous that this is where American politics is now. And even now, a lot of people here are asking the question, has justice and the system of justice in America now become just political?
0: Yeah, I, as as one of my followers on, on Twitter instantly responded yesterday when I um I, I announced the breaking news, she said... Has America become a police state? Yeah. And you ask a question, you know, when the president's home, his home that is guarded by the secret service is raided recently by armed officers of the FBI who literally go through Melania, the former first lady's, you know, sock drawer, yeah. look, quote unquote, secret documents. You, you think, OK, that's fine in Venezuela yeah. that, that's fine in North Korea it's not okay in america and we have to ask a very serious question is lady justice still wearing a blindfold hillary clinton according to the then director of the fbi can have more than 18 top secret documents on a private unsecured server every single one of them which would mean i as a former pentagon employee would be sitting in jail today Mm. and then she walks scot-free but President Trump on something that was a misdemeanor seven years ago is now charged with a felony, is is Lady Justice blind?
1: Well, it would seem so. And also, I mean, we look back on the likes of Bill Clinton and some of the things that he was accused of doing. Uh, we look back at, uh, as you say, the, 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 the Mar-a-Lago raid. We're still waiting, I think, are we not, to hear from yeah. the FBI what it was that they found. I mean, we, we're into the second year now, aren't we, of right. that?
0: Yeah, not only that. You, look, look at the last six years. First things first, we have the Billy Bush tapes. The, you know, the, the shocking audio of President Trump using you know locker room banter that yeah. was to him down. Then comes Crossfire Hurricane. Your listeners, your viewers need to look it up. First time ever in American history where a tri-service operation of the NSA, the FBI, and the CIA against a presidential campaign that was meant to prove some kind of spurious Russian collusion failed. Twenty months of Mueller's probe, a special counsel, hundreds of witnesses, 20 million dollars, 40 agents from the FBI trying again to, you know, find some kind of Russian connection, nothing. That wasn't enough. Impeachment number one. Impeachment number two. January 6th commission. Oh, and by the way, do you know how insane the second impeachment was? Impeachment is meant to remove somebody from office for crimes and misdemeanors. President Trump, my former boss. Had left. Had already gone. <laughs> left the whiteout, and they would impeach him out of the position right. he no longer has. That tells you these people are deranged, Mike.
1: Yeah, they really are. It's absolutely extraordinary. So, I mean, what does happen next? I mean, there's there's already noises being made by the by the Manhattan attorney's office that, you know, it's not just about Stormy Daniels. They have other things as well. But they're always saying that. They say that all the time. Oh, we've got all this other stuff that we're going to bring into the play, uh, you know, later in the week. Well, let's wait for it, shall we? But it probably will never come.
0: You know, um, I'd be a very rich person today if I had a a quid for every time we heard the following phrase in the last seven years. The walls are closing in on Donald Trump. Yeah. Also been closing very slowly, I think, for about seven years. Look, latest kind of leaked reports from various sources are that it's 34 counts But they're all to do with misstatements on business expenses. If that's the case, if that's the best they've got, it's a clown show. What happens next? I have a very, very serious message to the director of the Secret Service. I've said it multiple times on on, on U.S. television. You have a bound duty. You have a sworn duty to protect President Trump. He is a federal protectee. The idea that you're going to hand him over to some insane Soros funded prosecutor taking down to central booking in Manhattan with the criminals, with with, you know, other people, other officers carrying guns. You-
1: and make him do the perp walk, of course, as well. Uh, we just lost Sebastian's uh, signal there, but I think we're pretty much done. But thank you very much indeed. Sebastian Gorka, there giving us the lowdown uh, on the indictment. Oh, I think we've got him back. Have we got you back?
0: Are you there? Is yes, there, there, we, just,
1: we just lost you yeah. for a moment. Yeah, sorry, just finish up with the... Because I was, I was yeah. it gives me the opportunity to use my one of my favourite phrases, the perp walk, that we all used to go and enjoy uh, when I worked in New York City, uh, where they basically parade uh, the perps uh, or the perpetrators out uh, in terms of uh, the, the media. And, and if they do that to Donald Trump, I mean, he's guaranteed to get in, isn't he?
0: Look, uh, I, I work for him. I'm biased, we need to drain the swamp, we need to get rid of the deep state. I, I think it's, it, it's, it's a no-brainer even before they did this. Now, if they publish the mugshot, the photographs of him being fingerprinted, how many people are just gonna wake up and say, you know what, uh, I don't care about his mean tweets, this is wrong, mm. this is utterly wrong. And I think the, the biggest thing is, it doesn't tell you about Donald Trump, It tells you about what the left has become. This isn't your father's or your grandfather's Democrat Party. You know, 20, 30 years ago, the likes of JFK, the likes of Scoop Jackson, those were patriots. They may have been left wing, but they loved America. Mm. Now we have crazed loonies. It's very simple. It's not politics anymore. It's one question. Do you love America? Do you think it's a good thing? Or do you hate America? And you think it's a bad thing. That's going to be the dividing line. And I think they're going to make him more powerful than he has ever been, Mike.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I saw, um, saw you say last night that, you know, his masterstroke when he won the White House was not to say, as Hillary Clinton said, uh, that her slogan was, I'm with her. His slogan was, I'm with you. Makes yep. perfect sense. You know, we have the same problem here. We've got these Ramonas who want to rejoin the European Union, you know, and they say they hate Britain and they hate what the Tories have done to Britain. And they'd rather be living in France where you get your head cracked open uh, if, you fa- if you don't fancy what the government's doing.
0: Look, let, let me be clear. I said this yesterday as well. It started uh, in the UK. It started with Brexit. Then it travels across the pond then it becomes America first, MAGA, then we have now Italy, you have India, you have Australia. What is it we're seeing? It's not about personalities. It's not about Boris Johnson or the Italian prime minister or Orban or, or, or Trump. It's about one thing. It's what the left uses as a, as a dirty word, a pejorative. It's called populism. Mm. What's populism Mike? It means that your policies are popular with the majority. Yeah. Oh, that was the idea. Yes. Right?
1: Well then- the, well exactly the idea that they've kind of uh, renamed it as if it's somehow a bad thing to be popular. You
0: go, "Sorry,
1: <laughs> I don't really quite understand what I you prefer to be unpopular because it makes you more cerebral and cleverer and it's only the stupid people who like popularity." Well, that's why Labour keeps losing elections.
0: Yeah, it's 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 the elite. You're not you're not supposed to vote for that candidate. No. We- to decide. And the other thing is the populism is, is, is goes hand in glove with this recrudescence, this revivification of what? National sovereignty. Whether it's Brexit or whether it's America first, it's the concept, yeah, sovereignty matters. Mm. Orders matter. Safety matters. That's what we're really witnessing. And most people are going to say, yeah, why shouldn't I love the country I live in? This is a this is perverse situation we're in now. That in America, we have people running the country. We have people in the White House who hate America. That's weird. Yeah. It
1: is weird. It's like all these people on social media who've got about 10 flags in their profile. But if you put a British flag up, you're a racist, apparently. I mean, make me make me laugh. But anyway, listen, Seb, great to talk to you. Well done. Have a great weekend. Sebastian Gorka, former Aids President Donald Trump, host, of course, of America First, which is a great show uh, that you can find uh, over there uh, on the Internet. And also uh, it's a radio show as well. Oh, three, four, 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 nine, nine, one thousand. We're coming back right after this with some phone calls.